Welcome to episode 170 of Reclaiming the Faith. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Today, we'll be covering 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. You can find links to all of my resources at philsbaker.com. And if you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a positive review on our Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And you can check out my catalog of podcasts for my show, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker. Also, I've got a new book, The Final Abominable Temple, which you can purchase in audio, digital, hardback, and paperback formats on Amazon. And if you've read it, please consider leaving a review there as well. Also, I did a recent interview with the fellows from Buy Their Fruits. So go check out uh, the Buy Their Fruits channel on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and uh, check out that interview. Leave them a review as well. And finally, we're blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency. You can find links to all of our content there at omegafrequency.com. All right, let's get into episode 170. All right, Stephanie, we got some big, (laughs) we got some big ambitions today. Oh, I know. Yeah, you you want to cover a whole chapter. Yeah. Okay. How do you think that's going to go? Mm, you know, who was it that told you you have the gift of gab? Uh, so it was I don't remember the guy's name actually. It was a, he was a pretty big worship or not worship leader, music minister in the Houston area. Um There's our dogs barking. This is back in the day when I was at a uh, older South a Southern Baptist church in the Memorial Drive area. Yeah, I don't remember his name. I I don't know, and it probably it may have been other people that have reminded you of this gift. But you know, usually you have some some good stuff to share. But we got to keep it keep it condensed, I guess, today if you want to cover that much. Yeah, we're not going to go super like deep dive. I don't think today it's going to be more of like more of forest than trees, I guess you could say as I'm mixing metaphors. Um, but, uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and get into the uh, scripture. So last time uh, we closed out chapter two, talking a little bit about judgment day, talking about the uh, activity of Satan and talking about the return of Jesus. And we're going to get more of the return of Jesus today. We're going to get a little bit more about the activity of Satan. We're going to get a lot of like the heartbeat of Paul for the people. Um, so let's dive in. Steph, can you please read the entire chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? And this is, I think you're reading from the ESV, right? Yep. Okay, let's okay. do it. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you 
and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us. And we long to see you for this reason, brothers. In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face, see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. All right. So verse verses one through three, basically, we'll, we'll look at. So we got Paul and Silas and Timothy at Athens and Paul and Silas decide, gosh, we haven't seen these guys. It's, we've got so much concern for them because the climate was uh, kind of hot there at Thessalonica. There was a lot of persecution going on, a lot of threats going on there from both uh, the unbelieving Jews and the Gentiles, certain Gentiles there. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy are really worried about these guys. Um, and so they send Timothy to go find out about the Thessalonians' faith. Now, we'll, uh, we'll get into that word faith here in a second. But one other reason that they send Timothy is to uh, strengthen and encourage them to their faith. But um, I don't know, what's going on in your mind as you see that? I was thinking a lot about just these, this idea of their afflictions, and I keep coming back to this, this thought, and I guess it's kind of throughout this passage, and I don't know if this makes, is going to make sense, but it seems almost like this cycle or like a cyclical kind of pattern with, but it, there is an origin point that like Christ demonstrated his love first, you know, and then from there we love and encourage our brothers in Christ, and then they endure afflictions, and they, if they do well, that encourages us, and then we keep getting filled up with, you know, experiencing Christ's love either, you know, through that and through, sometimes through being delivered from difficult situations, but through this encouragement, and so it just keeps building off of that, and so, um, yeah, I just kind of pictured it as a a pattern that just keeps repeating. And he talks about this throughout, like you encourage us and we're back here encouraging you. And it's just this pattern of demonstrating, um, yeah, the what, what Christ did first. And then we are then emulating and, you know, a commitment to this cause. Yeah. Yeah. That's very good. And, uh, yeah, Paul says later on um, how they encouraged him by staying faithful, how encouraging that was to him. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he says it 
It's it's very like parental sounding, like a yeah. living vicariously through your children sort yeah. of. Yeah. yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get there. Yeah. But yeah, you're picking up on the affliction part in, in verse three. And that's really good. Like, um, so one of the ways that Timothy is, is strengthening them is by reminding them how Paul said that as Christians, we are destined for afflictions. That Paul taught them that they, that we as Christians are destined to suffer afflictions for Jesus's namesake. Now you see that we talked about, I think we talked about that last time. Um, maybe we didn't, but um, let's cover a little bit of that right now. So Steph, would you um, would you mind turning to Mark 4 uh, and looking at verses 16 through 17? Okay. And uh, I'm going to read... Matthew 10, verses 24 through 25. You said Mark 4, 16 mm-hmm. and 17. Yeah, and I'm going to go to Matthew 10, 24 through 25. But it's really cool how Paul says that, like, we we don't want you to be disturbed or, like, shaken by the afflictions um, that you're going through. We told you that, like, we were we are destined for this and that you were going to suffer it and it came to pass just like we told you. So like he, it's like a new members orientation class. Like that's part of their, their orientation was Paul saying, okay, guys, if, if you're going to sign up for this, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, just so you know, we're going to count the cost. You're going to suffer. So like when, when Jesus called his 12 apostles originally in Matthew 10, when he called them, he let them know, like, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Like he, he's letting them know right from the beginning. And, and he says in Matthew 10, 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. Of course, they're the disciples. He's the teacher. He's the rabbi. And he says, if they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, if they're calling me like Satan, how much more so will they malign the members of his household? So he's like, they're coming after you too, buddy. So get ready, get ready. They're, if, if you want to be like me, and that's what you should, then they're going to come after you for being like me. So, you got now the parable of the soils, and uh, this is the second soil, the seed sown among rocky places. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while then, when tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. All right. Now, in uh, Luke, the version in Luke 8 said, and when they, when they hear it, they believe. So it's good to harmonize this stuff, Matthew 13, Luke 8, Mark 4. But in uh, Mark 4, it, it's very uh, explicit that when this went out, like after you received this word, like you're hearing this message of, of the kingdom, guess what? Affliction 
or persecution arises. Why? Because of the word. This stuff is coming. Jesus is flat out telling his hearers, if you're going to receive my word, my teaching about the kingdom, guess what? Persecution and affliction is straight up coming. I don't know if you remember when we planted our, our church mm-hmm. and we put together our like new members stuff. Like we had like yeah. eight teachings or six or eight teachings or whatever, how the parable of the soils was like one of, like it was like a standalone lesson. Yeah. And this is one of the main reasons why. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read Acts 14, 21 through 22. Can you read uh, Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12? Okay. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. You'll have the closing remarks of the Beatitudes. In Acts 14, 21 through 22, you have some of Paul's closing remarks to the churches in uh, Galatia, in like Southwestern Galatia. Um, This is uh, Lystra, Iconium, Derby. Uh, This is some of the places where Paul was heavily persecuted in some of the areas like he, they wanted to stone him and he like, uh, and Barnabas fled. And then in Lystra, he was stoned. They went back into the city continued to make disciples there. Uh, Timothy was there in Lystra, saw Paul got get stoned. Um, but of course that had a profound um, impression on him. So they make many elders there. Anyway, uh, this is Acts 14, 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, uh, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So it's coming, guys. All right, yours. All right, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah, so this is coming. Now, Jesus tells you to take a uh, long view of this. This is, uh, there's some type of blessing that's coming. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. There's something about uh, the kingdom of God that's being released you know, when this stuff is going down, kind of like uh, Philippian jailer, um, watching the way Paul and Silas respond to suffering that leads him to ask, what must I do to be saved? You know, that kind of a thing. Or Timothy watching Paul get stoned in Lystra, he becomes a disciple. There's something about that. It seems Tertullian picks up on this idea um, around 198 when he writes his uh, apology to the Roman Empire. It's such a classic um, line that so many are familiar with. It almost becomes cliche, uh, but it's very appropriate given what we're talking about here. And he writes, the more often we are mown down by you, the more often we grow or the more we grow in number, the blood of Christians is seed. Um, yeah, something to consider. But with that, 
it's not like Christians are always destined to remain faithful through persecution. Paul knows good and well that that's not always the case. So Paul has a, a very real concern about the Thessalonians that these afflictions could turn them away from Christ. It could make them stronger and more uh, sincere and refined in their faith, or it could cause them to fall away, like what you read in Mark 4. So he writes in verse 5. Would you mind reading verse 5 for us from 1 Thessalonians 3? For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So he had this real understanding that the situation, like we said, is very hot. There's real persecution going on there and he knows the words of the Lord. We're going to see that in uh, um, 1 Thessalonians 4 for sure when he's teaching eschatology um, in 2 Thessalonians 2. Um, uh, we, we see it a lot, but um, I, I believe Paul knows the words of Jesus, the parable of the soils. Uh, he knows that when persecution comes, many can fall away on account of persecution. And so he says that because of this persecution, he sends to find out about their faith. Now this word faith, this pistis idea can mean um, usually like belief. Um, it can mean faithfulness. Um, it depends on the context, but it seems here that it means like uh loyalty to Jesus. Like, have they renounced their loyalty to Jesus here? Not like, are they staying true to the traditions of the church? That's not what I believe Paul is talking about here because the follow-up is for fear. He feared that the tempter may have tempted them and his labor, he and Silas and Timothy's labor would have been in vain. That word vain means worthless like they would have wasted their time there. Now, that's a general statement about the church. It doesn't necessarily mean that every single person there would have fallen away, but he is basically saying like, goodness gracious, basically if there's a real possibility that a huge number of Thessalonians could have fallen away and renounced their loyalty to Jesus. In Luke 21, Jesus is talking to his apostles about uh, prophetic things and the need for his disciples to stay faithful in the midst of persecution, but real persecution is coming to them and they need to be able to stay faithful. So Stephanie, um, would you mind reading Luke chapter 21? And you're going to start in verse 10 and read to verse 19. Luke 21, verse 10 through verse 19. 
Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. It's intense. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? I can't imagine. And then my tendency is to do the opposite of what they're saying, which is like, I'm thinking through what can I, how can I defend myself or how can I defend my actions or whatever? And he's like, don't do that. Don't prepare. I'm going to give you the words. It's like, oh man. Now, how would the tempter be tempting people in that situation? Or in those situations, how could the tempter, Satan, be tempting people? Uh, well... I mean, you're you're tempted to renounce. Why? Because your own family is against you. Mm. You're losing everything. Mm. So, you know, you're you're going to be already enduring, you know, persecution that is more intense than probably any of us can imagine. Yeah. I mean, he's tempting you to not feel pain. And that could be emotional pain, psychological pain, physical pain. It's tempting you to feel, to not feel pain now at the cost of feeling eternal pain. Yeah. I'm going to read a little bit of 2 Timothy 2, um, 8 through 13. So this is Paul's last letter and now instead of you like sending timothy to counsel others to stay faithful now he's counseling timothy to stay faithful as paul at the end of his life he knows he's about to get his head chopped off because he's a roman citizen so these are like final words to timothy and he says remember jesus christ risen from the dead not crucified, risen from the dead, okay? He's the Messiah. He rose from the dead. He's the descendant of David. He's the king. He really is. He's the descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. This is worth suffering for. This is legit. This is the gospel. It's worth suffering for as a criminal. This is... It's an, it is not a glorious suffering that Paul is, at least in the eyes of everybody else. He's a criminal, you know, in the eyes of everybody else. But the word of God is not imprisoned. 
For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, Jesus and with it eternal glory. Now think of the way he's talking about the people that are chosen stuff. He says that he's suffering all of this for the sake of the elect so that they can obtain salvation. Now, if Paul was a Calvinist, the elect don't need Paul to endure because if they were already chosen before the foundation of the world, it doesn't matter what we do. Our faithfulness to the gospel has no bearing on someone else's eternal salvation from that vantage point, from a Calvinistic vantage, vantage point. It has no, it's, it's Jesus's grace alone, not my faithfulness. That's not the way Paul talks though. Paul says it's really important for me and you, Timothy, to stay faithful to the end, to encourage other people to stay faithful to the end because God has chosen them. God wants them to stay faithful to the end. So it's so critical for me and you to stay faithful to the end so that these people that he's chosen, people that have chosen Jesus by Jesus's grace, for them to stay faithful to the end. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, this is going to sound kind of strange, but in the, like I've gotten really into like understanding financial stuff and there's this sort of principle of like, um, you know, Basically, like your do things that your future self will will thank you for, or like doing being one percent better each day with like doing what you're supposed to do. And I think that that sort of idea, or like this idea of making small deposits that are going to pay off in the long run, like they are they're having to prepare themselves for these coming tribulations and current tribulations, even and. It's it's this ongoing practice and it doesn't, you know, for us, like in the West, we don't necessarily endure persecution in the same way, probably not anywhere near the same way, but there's likely a chance that we will one day. And, you know, I think that Paul's um, teaching about like preparing for this is so important and it just keeps like sinking in that like, if we're not making these small deposits, we're not going to be ready when the time comes. If we're not making sacrifices now, if we're not um, modeling sacrificial living, then we're not going to to be ready when the time comes for big sacrifices. I don't know if that makes sense. That's I don't know if that's totally on track with what you were talking about, but that was what's coming to mind a lot. Yeah, and so like, it's important also for the parents to model those small sacrifices now for the kids and not just to say that to the kids, but to show that to the kids and explain that to the kids and live that to the kids so that the kids can start doing that now as well. See what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. Well, let's, um, let's go to six through 10 and we'll, uh, highlight, highlight a little bit of, uh, eight, and then 10 as well. But can you read six through 10? Sure. All right. 
But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now, if we live, sorry, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Well, you went a little too far, but that's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> I just started it's okay. reading and didn't no, pay it's attention. Good. So in, in like some of that six through 10 stuff, Steph, yeah. how are you seeing um, the uh, parental vibes coming out of Paul? I mean, it for now, we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So it's just sort of like they're an extension of mm. Paul and his ministry. Um, and what Thanksgiving can we return to God for for you for all the joy that we feel? I mean, it's just so like, it's like a parent sitting in the audience watching their kid in a play. Like we're like bursting, just watching this investment of, time and energy. And I mean, that sounds very transactional, but like you're seeing the fruits of the labor that you've put in. And that is, that's parenting. I mean, God is the one who softens hearts and God is the one who directs, helps direct people. But like he very much uses us. And I think this is part of why he uses us is so that we can see that, you know, when we're faithful to God, that there is blessing and um, that we're able to be a blessing to others. And then they come and return that blessing on us a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, you have like an adult kid and they're off on their own for a while mm-hmm. and you know, they're in like a tough situation yeah. and they're young in their faith and you haven't heard from them in a long time. And you, you, try to find out how they're doing and you haven't heard, you haven't heard. And then you finally get a report back, you know, and it's like, Oh, Ooh, Ooh, I got a message. I got a message. I got a message. What's it going to be, you know? And like, you've had this angst in you, like, is this report going to be good or bad? Because like, it could go one way or another because you haven't heard and you know, like there's a real possibility that things could go sideways. Mm-hmm. things could really go sideways. And if it goes sideways, it's it's going to be crushing. Yeah. And if it goes really well, it could be so uplifting. But there's a real possibility either way. And then you open the message or you listen to the voicemail or whatever. And you find out like, oh, oh, they're doing really well. Yeah. You know, and that's like so encouraging. So when Paul's like, now we really live. Yeah, it's it's like we are thriving now that we hear that you're thriving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, it's it's so parental. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, no, but no parent wants their child to, you know, to be on a, a bad path or to suffer in that way. But hearing that they have, you know, they're enduring and that they are um, standing firm in tribulation is, it's so encouraging. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of lacking words, but it's just so important and it is so sweet to see how deeply Paul cares. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now this uh, verse ten thing, like he's like we 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 hear this good report, and that's awesome. And we're sending Timothy to you to strengthen and encourage you. But we really want to come see you face to face because we want to complete what is lacking in your faith. Now he's remember he's been praising them like he got a really good report right from them that they are thriving he's hearing great news about them all over Macedonia wherever he goes like the Thessalonians you guys are doing great and he's like and you lack <laughs> you lack stuff in your faith now this is awesome because this is using the faith in a different way do they believe in Jesus of course they do. Are they being faithful to Jesus? Yeah. Of course they are. <laughs> you know, but there are things that they need to grow in. Now, how do we understand this stuff? So, so can I ask a question about this? Yeah. So I kind of took it as like Paul is unable to leave at this time, but mm -hmm. if he's able to rejoin them, how encouraging that would be. That it's like that God is faithful in allowing that to happen. Is that what's lacking in their faith or? Paul, that Paul is what's lacking in their faith? No, that, that Paul returning to them is evidence of God's faithfulness. And that's an encouragement to them. I think that would definitely be an encouragement to them. I don't think that that's what he means by complete what's lacking in your faith. Okay. And the reason for that is that they clearly have questions about dead relatives. Okay. For one, they have questions about um, end times things. Paul has given them um, instruction about the return of Jesus as he mentions the return of Jesus in every single chapter. So this is an issue that is clearly on their minds. That's why he keeps on bringing it up for one. This is a big deal for them. The return of Jesus. Now, a, a, um, hole in what has not been communicated to them is what about grandma who believed in Jesus? She heard the message and then she died. What about grandma when Jesus comes back? So they don't know that. So that's a question that they had that Paul didn't have time to communicate. Remember how he's been stressing how we were torn away from you after such a short time. So Paul has some stuff to say, uh, some more information to communicate. 
So basically, Paul doesn't know if he's going to be able to come back. He wants to come back. But what you see in the rest of the letter in 4 and 5, and then you also see some stuff in 2 Thessalonians, which corresponds to 4 and 5, which 2 Thessalonians is like almost entirely, though not completely, about the return of Jesus is addressing these issues concerning the return of Christ that he didn't have time to communicate. Um, Now, it's not that he hadn't spoken about the return of Jesus. It's just answering specific questions, okay? And then answering not just questions about the return of Jesus, but implications, um, like how should we live? And with 2 Thessalonians, it's answering a, a... a false statement that was going around, either a false letter um, or a false apostle, a false teacher saying that uh, the day of the Lord had already come, okay? Which was causing some people to get incredibly lazy. But um, regardless, so Paul in the rest of 1 Thessalonians is is giving like... uh, well, let me just give a little bit of a spoiler alert just in case I can't get get to y'all face-to-face. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So he's going to talk about sexual purity, holiness, um, how, to tr- how to treat one another. He's going to talk about the return of Jesus and grandma who died in the Lord. He's going to talk about... Um, uh, the return of God and wrath. And uh, he's going to talk about also some just basic interactions uh, with like prophetic utterances and things like that. Yeah. So I, I, that seems to be the general consensus in the commentaries uh, that complete what is lacking is like. Finish uh, the teachings that what we see in the rest of first Thessalonians is a, a foretaste of what Paul would want to say in person. Oh, okay. Yeah. If given the opportunity. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. So let's hit these last uh, three verses. Paul gives a blessing. Now may our God and father himself and Jesus Christ, our Lord, Uh, We've talked about how whenever Paul is calling Jesus our Lord, he's actually connecting him to the God and Father, right? He is calling Jesus Yahweh there. This is a very strong statement of divinity. This is actually a stronger statement of divinity than calling for, for a Jewish audience, than calling Jesus God, calling him uh, like capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that he's calling him Yahweh. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah, very strong. Okay, now what he wants them to do is increase in and abound for love for for one another and for all people. That seems a whole lot like Galatians 6, where Paul says, uh, do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. And why would that be the case? Well, if you think like 1 Timothy 2, where Paul says that Jesus is the savior of all men, 
especially of those who believe. So this is getting at the fact that God wants all people to be saved. All people. But, you know, we need to definitely take care of our own. It's just we want more people to fall under the banner of our own. So I was kind of having a thought as I was reading 13. Yeah. uh, Or sorry, 12 and 13. That May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God. So he's making this connection between love of people mm-hmm. and holiness. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, I mean, if I mean, this is maybe oversimplifying, but if you are loving people, you're not going to be sinning against them. Mm-hmm. So like, it only makes sense that you would be more likely to keep the commandments of God. Does yep. that make sense? Yeah, and Paul's gonna get, he's going to expound on this mm-hmm. in chapter four and chapter five. So like he's going to expound on this in sexual ethic in chapter four, when he talks about not defrauding our neighbor, Mm -hmm. keeping ourselves pure sexually, not committing fornication. He's like, this is the will of God, your sexual purity, basically. And um, who's not doing this is rejecting the Holy Spirit that God gives you. And if you're not doing this, you're defrauding your neighbor. So he's getting at love your neighbor as yourself. Then in chapter five, he says like, be very mindful to do what is good in the sight of all people. Like, like he's very concerned about loving your, loving your neighbor as yourself. So this is part of what, like this blessing that he's doing right here mm-hmm. is part of the passage that we just read uh, in, in verse 10 about completing what is lacking in your faith as well. Like this is like he getting a little bit more specific and specific examples about how to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. So should this be more of how we pray when we're tempted or or when, we, when it comes to like certain struggles that we have, should we be praying more for like, God help me to love other people more? Absolutely. Like instead of like, God help me to resist the temptation to do drugs or resist the temptation to, um, I don't know, be greedy. Help me to love the way that you love. Yeah, and I think they go kind of hand in hand, right? Yeah. Because resisting is fighting against. Yeah. So, uh, So if you think about the way the word resist is used in James 4, and First Peter 5 about resisting, well, particularly James 4, you resist the devil and he will f- flee from you. Mm-hmm. I was First Peter 5, that's not good. Um, it is, actually, it is used in First Peter 5. And this works, actually, both, both. Yeah, good. Um, the, the connection is, the, or the, the approach is through humility. Resist the devil through humility in both instances, humble yourself under the Lord's hand in first Peter five um, and, and James four, six. And humility is, is the opposite of pride in that pride is viewing yourself as more important than someone else. 
looking down on other people. Whereas humility is valuing other people as more important than yourself. So loving someone the way God loves us, loving your neighbor is putting their needs above your own. So this is very like Philippians 2, taking the mindset of Christ, which is valuing other people's needs is more important than your own. That's humility. It's love. It's also humility. So if you're asking God to help you love them, you do that through humility. And in doing that, you're resisting the devil. You're fighting against him. You're resisting temptation. You're fighting against temptation because that word resist is to fight against really. It's not just to, oh no, no, please don't. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very war-based verb. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Humility and love go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, verse 13. God, Paul prays for the Lord to cause them to grow in love for each other and for all people so that he can establish their hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, a couple of points real quick there. When Paul talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, he is doing a direct call back to Zechariah 14, which is a direct call back to Enoch, first Enoch which Jude quotes, Enoch, the seventh from Adam said it. Now there's debate about um, the saints or holy ones means angels or the godly throughout all generations. Those who are in Christ basically with angels or just the God, it's probably the good angels and all of God's people throughout all time with him, probably. But this is the coming. This is the parousia, by the way, okay? This is the presence of Jesus. And look how Paul is using that. He's saying, I'm praying that God has you ready for when Jesus comes back. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I think there's a good possibility that you're going to be here when? Yeah. And this is not, he's not talking about a secret return. This is the parousia. This is the every eye will see him, parousia, the presence of Jesus with all his holy ones, with all the saints, with all the angels, flaming fire, as you read in 2 Thessalonians 1, fiery appearance, presence. Paul is saying here, he wants you to be ready. Chapter 1. Chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, twice. Paul is talking about the return of Jesus and 
the need for Christians to be ready for the revealing, the appearing, the coming, the presence, the return of Jesus, for Christians to be ready for this. All alone here on my hands and knees, pleading for this cup to pass from me. Answer comes as blood from forehead falls. I can't escape the firing squad. Here I am amongst the chains and fits. I always knew that it would come to this. Now, if they're gonna have a prayer at all, I can't escape the firing squad. But I sing. Tell of your great faithfulness, O oh Lord, and I am sure. Just look around and you can see the floor. They pierce and taunt and they divide my clothes. Their only hope to have a change of heart. I can't escape the firing squad. I ain't running from the firing squad